Gotta love that video. Encouragement. Encouragement. When he says there's a lot more than we could possibly do than we can ever imagine. When I look at this video, I couldn't help but be introspective looking within and asking, Andrew, what more can you bring out of yourself? Now, not within my own strength, not within my own personal power, but relying on the power of God, right? As believers, we trust in his empowerment by the Holy Spirit. And when I look at the examples of men and women in the faith, especially Jesus, it encourages me to be more. Especially when they rebound from struggles, personal failures, and I wonder what more can I bring out by the Holy Spirit's help. So today I want to talk about encouragement. Encouragement. We know encouragement is a wonderful and powerful thing. It can help us in the different stages of our life. It's that coach when you're in the big game, okay, boys? When you're in the big game, it's the, everything's on the line. you got to make that shot. You want to make that penalty shot. Whatever the game that you're playing, you want to get it done. Your coach puts his hand on your side and says, you got this. Maybe it's when you have a big test and everything's riding on that test. I remember my brother was studying for his MCAT. Everything was on the line, bro. And then mom and dad and everyone's saying, you got this. We're praying for you. No problem. It's also a time of great loss when you're experiencing those issues and someone comes alongside of you and says, I'm praying for you. And then last year, when I lost my dad, it was the power of friends, church family, and others who came alongside and were talking and all these well wishes and saying wonderful things about my father. But the most important thing was, he's with Jesus. What an incredible source of encouragement. We all need encouragement, don't we? the different stages, circumstances of our life. Recently, I was isolating in my mom's basement, which is a five-star resort to me, uh, because all the food is prepared, everything is ready. I was there for seven days. I mean, I could, it could have been a lot worse. There's people who are, are shut in in hospitals from types of cancers that are terminal. Thankfully, I'm, I guess you'd say I'm in a stage one of a thyroid cancer, but I was undergoing this radioactive iodine therapy, and so I was radioactive, and I couldn't be near anybody. I didn't turn into the Hulk, which would have been really cool. I didn't get any spidey sense or something either, um, but it was, a, it was an interesting time. Because my mom cared for me so much. It was kind of cool. She said I was the voice from the basement, and uh, it was neat being back home. Home is always home. Home is sweet home. And I'm so thankful for that, Mom. Thank you for the encouragement you brought me. And also for all those of you here today who encouraged me, church family, Pastor Jeff, uh, Pastor Kerry, Pastor Tamil, everybody who's been encouraging me during this time. I can't tell you people online, I don't know which camera's live right now, but those of you who tuned in online and you wrote me words of thanksgiving, praying for you, just floored by the amount of comments. And I have to admit, I really hit here because at times you can hit low moments. Because you start thinking, you start second-guessing what's going on, God. And yet these encouragements help because it realigns your focus. It realigns your focus to trust in God and God alone. Speaking of encouragement, I have to give a shout-out to Chef Kevin Nugturn of Mustard and Relish at Porked Over. He brought me this big, juicy burger. I think it was Saturday night or, or whatever. It was Awesome. Thank you, bro, for paying for that. It was, it was delicious. Megan and I uh, enjoyed that. My stomach is still adjusting because the whole time I was having salads and actually healthy food. Um, and I, I lost a little bit of weight, I think. It trimmed out a little bit. Um, but when we look at encouragement, I love the Greek word paraklesis. Paraklesis because it means encouragement, consolation, 
comfort, and exhortation. And I love the word exhortation, sorry, because it means to emphatically urge someone to do something. Emphatically urge someone to do something. So it's a form of encouragement, right, to keep on keeping on. It's a nudge. It's a loving reminder to keep on all season with. And remember the word for today, paraklesis. Paraklesis. And I want to stress that it's also how we live that's the source of our encouragement. When you look at that video today, it's inspiring. It's encouraging. That man who had the cancer, you could think, oh, his life's over. He could have just packed it in and just gave up, maybe even had assisted, you know, a suicide or whatever, uh, whatever the terminology is. But he didn't pack it in. He was determined to walk again. And so we land here today. It's my desired prayer for you and for myself that we'll know our impact. We'll know our impact, committing ourselves to be a people of encouragement who are loyal to the faith because what we do and say matters. And we need, need encouragement. I'm hoping Megan's going to put this image on the screen. Uh, during COVID, we're in this isolation craziness. This is a picture. I don't know if it's a joke or not, um, but they're having Thanksgiving in the United States. And um, I saw this from Pastor Tim from Bethel and Sarnia. Thank you, Pastor Tim, for sharing this image. It is hilarious. We need encouragement in today's world, don't we? God uses different avenues of encouragement. So quickly, just a little summary. He uses three things from what I can tell. His word, his Holy Spirit, and people, which is us. Look at Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in the past was written for our instruction, so that we may have hope through endurance and through the encouragement from scriptures. And we know this very well when we open and we read scripture. It speaks to us. The word is living and active. It's not some passive thing that you read, tuck away, and be done with it. It speaks to us day in and day out. And I've come to know this theologian, N.T. Wright, Pastor Jeff, and Pastor Tamil have been talking about N.T. Wright, and he has this quote, the Bible is the book of my life. It's the book I live with, the book I live by, and here's the catcher, the book I want to die by. It's inspiring. After all, Jesus, how he taught, what he said, how he lived, and continues to impact us today. And even how his followers followed Christ. How we looked at the Beatitudes and how it inspires us to walk as Jesus walked. And we can also see that God uses his Holy Spirit. We love the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit, Jesus uses the word parakletos. Kind of sounds like toast, right? But parakletos, because it's good stuff. The Holy Spirit, he says, is your counselor. In John 14, he says that he'll be with you forever. He is the spirit of truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But here's the catcher. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be with you. But the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. I love even when I get caught up in something, even maybe have a personal failure or a struggle or a setback. You can, as you're reading the word, the Holy Spirit draws out these words of encouragement. It's a mix of paraclesis and paracletos. Hear these words from 1 Timothy Paul, the Apostle Paul, he says, I'm the chief of sinners. 
I was a, a, a prosecutor, a blasphemer, an arrogant man. He says this in, in chapter 1, verse 12, or 13, sorry. But I received mercy even when I acted out of ignorance and unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. In verse 15, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ might demonstrate. Remember that word, Christ might demonstrate his extraordinary patience. You've got to love how patient he is. Far more patient than I am. My family knows far more patient. As an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. And what I love about this scripture, again, it's a source of encouragement as the Holy Spirit pulls it out, that we are all benefactors and representatives. Benefactors and representatives of God's grace, mercy, and power. Power is one of the things that I want to make sure we focus on here today as we look at how God uses people. We're told in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 13 says this, but encourage each other daily. Encourage each other daily while it is still called today so that none of you are hardened by sin's deceptions. We have an opportunity to take advantage of every day to be encouraged through the word, but to encourage others. This is something that I'm learning. This is something that I'm desiring to walk more freely and powerfully in. And it got me thinking, you can probably agree, we can all take encouragement for granted. Telling you again, when I was isolated in that basement, as much as I loved that finished basement, I had my own bathroom and all these treats. Or I didn't get treats this time, but healthy food. It's awesome. But, wow, Mom, it was, again, it was so awesome. And John would call me, how you doing, bro? And having a physician in the family is wonderful because you can go over medical stuff. And if you're second-guessing things, there's a calming reassurance of what's going on. And you can come to a, a good educated decision of what you should do next. And my father always said, get all the facts. Get all the facts and trust in the power of God. Speaking of encouragement, when I was at my lowest moment, now, Mommy didn't know this. So, I mean, we had conversations, but it was over the weekend. This message was already drafted. I told my mom, I think this is what is on my heart to talk about encouragement, specifically being spiritual mothers and fathers to people encouraging. She said, that's a great word, Andrew, absolutely. And, but I was having these moments. And sure enough, because God, by his Holy Spirit, uses people, I got a phone call. Now, I got a phone call from one of my dear friends. He's a lot older than I, but he looks great. Pastor Todd, if you're watching this today, you look great, man. You're fit, wonderful man. He's a pastor out at Dream City Church in Phoenix, Arizona, one of the larger churches in America under leadership of Pastor Tommy Barnett, or sorry, Matthew Barnett, Luke Barnett, the whole Barnett clan. So he calls me and he says, you're on my heart. You're on my heart, and I want to call and encourage you and see how you're doing. And I'm like, well, there's some affirmation if you need it. This word is timely. It's speaking directly to me, and I hope it's speaking to you too here today. This man, this man that I admire, incredible preacher, no one can illustrate like him. Wow. If you ever go online, go on YouTube, Pastor Todd Matchett, Phoenix, Arizona. He embodied paraclesis. He encouraged me. He consoled me, but he also urged me to stick to the course. You know who God has called you. You know the God who has called you. He's faithful. He's going to work this thing out, even when we don't understand why it's happening. And so today I want to turn to our passage in 2 Timothy 
chapter 1. We're going to look at how the Apostle Paul, one who learned teaching directly from Jesus Christ himself, we're going to see how he was a source of encouragement for a young man named Timothy. So the year is 67 AD. Emperor Nero, the crazy king, is on the throne, if you will. He's wreaking havoc in Rome. Roman emperors were known to withhold grain and other things in order to gain favor with the people that, oh my, there's a grain shortage. And then the emperor steps in and says, no, don't worry about it. I got you covered. A lot of times they would go after their own citizens and just make their life miserable. In this case, Nero was going, we know, he's going after Christians. He's burning them by making them their own real-life jack-o'-lanterns. He's throwing them in the Colosseum, and these gladiator games are being torn by lions. It is mayhem. And so in the midst of all this, Paul is in prison because he's been preaching the gospel. Before he was under house arrest and free to go and come as he pleases. But now he is in chains. He cannot freely go, similar to when I was at my mom's, although she could open the door a little bit and I could walk through. And, but anyway, Paul, he's lonely. And the tone in this letter is he is lonely. He longs to see Timothy. He longs to see the people in Ephesus of whom Timothy is ministering to. And in the midst of his difficulty, Paul still realizes he's a spiritual father and he is ministering to this young Timothy who's on assignment in Ephesus. He's Paul's apostolic representative, which means he bears the full weight of authority. And he's been given many instructions specifically to teach the believers there how to conduct themselves in the church of God, how to live a life that honors God, trusting in his power, trusting in his grace, trusting in his mercy, and the whole nine yards. And so I can imagine, as I'm reading this letter, as a young minister myself, and I still consider myself, you know, 35 years young, that Timothy was undoubtedly thankful for that encouragement, for that paraclesis that Paul's letter would have brought him. In this letter, as I said, Paul encourages Timothy to be loyal in the midst of what I like to call waywardness. I know it's in Scripture. I just think that word really covers it. It's speaking of those who are departing from the truth, the power of the gospel, pushing that aside and aligning themselves with myths and spreading myths, false so-called truth. Now, a majority of Christian scholars, when I understand, hold that the myth that Paul is referring to And what he's urging Timothy to avoid was the agnostic belief. The agnostic belief. And bro, as I continue, I'm going to ask you to get my water for me because I am thirsty. So agnostic belief says this. Now, I, I, I read through a bunch of different texts and stuff, and I hope I got this thing summarized. And for sake of time, I'm just going to read this paragraph. Oh, just the water. The coffee would be bad right now. And so um, it says this. Hold that God, they hold that God is unknowable, transcendent, a divine, unapproachable light. Thank you, bro. A divine, unapproachable light. Who exists in the realm of light. He is also superior to any lesser deity, of which I believe there are four different lesser deities. This unknowable God is also non-existent in the human material world in which we live as he belongs to the realm of light. And as such, humans are seeking to be freed from their imprisonment in the physical material world by the way of special knowledge called agnosis. 
of the divine transcendent being, and that through agnosis, okay, I hope you're following this, the human immortal soul, the human spirit, which they believe is divine, is freed from its imprisonment in this physical world to then enjoy the divine realm of light. And until they enter into this place, this state of agnosis, this will not happen. And so they're prisoners. And Hymenaeus and Philetus were proponents of this belief of which Paul is talking to Timothy in both First and Second Timothy, in both letters that he addresses to Timothy. And in the first letter, he tells Timothy, keep away from such people, keep them from teaching these strange doctrines that are centered on fruitless discussion. He goes in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18, they have departed from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and are ruining the faith of some. I love that it just says some. Thank God that people weren't getting on this crazy train and shipwrecking their faith. He says this in verse 19, Nevertheless, God's solid foundation, you got to love something that's solid, it's a sure thing. It stands firm, bearing this inscription, The Lord knows those who are his. And let everyone, not just the Lubber family, not just the Pierces, not just the McLeods, not just the Richardsons, but everyone who calls on the name of the Lord is not only saved, but must also turn away from wickedness, being wayward. Now, why do you think Timothy would receive such a letter? I mean, it seems tough. When you read it, it kind of guts you. You're like, oh, man, now I understand this letter is addressed to Timothy. But at the end of the letter, he says, grace be with you all. So I believe that it bears weight, right? All scripture is God-breathed useful for correcting, rebuking, training in righteousness. And we can glean things. We can be encouraged by it. So the first point I want to bring out is relationship proximity. Relationship proximity. Let's look at 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 2 to 5. It says, To Timothy, my dearly loved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God, see that? I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience as my ancestors did when I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day. Prayer is a powerful thing. He doesn't stop there. He says, remembering your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I recall your sincere faith that first lived in your grandmother, Louis, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am convinced is in you. We can see the power of prayer and the model we have as spiritual fathers and spiritual mothers that we are passing things on to not only our own kin, but those that we come in contact with. And we can see that relationship proximity makes this all possible. It shows that Paul and Timothy were very close. Very close. They had this mutual trust, this friendship while on mission. They had this, what we call camaraderie. Camaraderie that those in social circles, those who are within our social circles, are a source of encouragement. And so by proximity and relationship, Paul fully knew Timothy's character. Character is important. My father always said, Andrew, your character is so important. Character is part of the Holy, uh, Holy Spirit, the fruit being developed in your life. He's replicating the character of Christ in your life. Continue to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. Look how Paul 
uh, talks about Timothy to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 20. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, which just can be a wake-up call for us too, right? And not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, and he's talking about Timothy, because he has served me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. There's that dynamic. There's that relationship dynamic, the closeness. And he says, therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. And Paul didn't know. Perhaps the writing was on the wall. I mean, he's in chains. Nero's on the throne. He's killing people left and right. He may have seen the writing was on the wall. And point number two, affection and affirmation matters. Affection and affirmation matters. I've mentioned my father already. He's my hero. My mom and dad were like Batman and Robin in our household. They are incredible people. And my dad, even though he's with Jesus, he left a lasting impact. Why? Because all the words of encouragement are daily talks, including some wonderful birthday cards, Christmas, all these different moments. I remember all our conversations, and especially when he said, Andrew, obedience is the mark of a man pursuing what honors God, which is kingdom living. Righteousness, joy, peace in the Holy Spirit. And those words live with me. They reside within me. And I want to read this card from a birthday, June 22nd, 2015. He says, hey, big 30th, exclamation point. He loved exclamation points. There's, whenever you see three or four, you know this is really important. And he's really excited. You've had quite the life so far. And as the scripture states, the path of the righteous grows brighter from dawn to dawn. We're a work in progress, right? We're a work in progress by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he says, the best is yet to come, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. Remember, as you plan and prepare, trust in the Lord, rely on his power, get all the facts, and it will happen for you. It will happen for you. Affection and affirmation go a long way. What are the ways that we can show affection and affirmation to those around us? What are the ways that we can encourage people through our life, even through our struggles? Even when things might seem like a prison, we're wondering when we're going to break free from this thing. Your life can be a source of encouragement. We can see in Paul's first letter, as well as in this uh, 2 Timothy 1, that he affirms Timothy's gifting of teaching. He says to continue to give your attention to public reading, exhortation, and teaching. Practice these things, be committed to them, so that your progress may be evident to all. One of the people in my life who have been ex especially encouraging to me in, in ministry, and Pastor Jeff, you have been awesome in encouraging me, I'm going to go back to my adolescent years for a moment. Okay, so I bless you. You are a wonderful man of God and pastor in my life. I'm going back to when I was a young man at Full Gospel Fellowship. It's now Real Life Church. I'm going back to the glory days of, of, of Real Life Church. And this gentleman, Pastor David Clark, had a pastor's heart. He really cared. 
He would go out to you. He would call you. He would, he would ask how you're doing. Even if all this craziness was going on in his life, his own kids battled with CF, and they need a lot of, uh, you know, attention and help, but they're battling this thing, and they have their own problems. And yet he would always encourage me. And from a young age, like the lover boys I see here, from a young age, he gave me opportunity to be involved with worship at nine years old. I'd be on the drums. Maybe I missed some beats, probably. But he gave me those opportunities. He gave John the opportunity. He allowed me to, us to lead worship when we were in grade nine. We're belting out. We're singing words. Maybe we may not even really know the impact of the words at the time. But he loved it. He encouraged us. And he gave me the opportunity to preach at such a young age. I think my first sermon in the church was 16 or 17 years old. And I thank him for that. Pastor Dave, if you're watching, thank you so much. And this is really an uncommon thing at times, especially when we live in what appears to be a divide and conquer type of culture. Divide and conquer. No way, my way, my way. I'm, I'm going to get the limelight. I'm, I'm on the show or whatever you want. You want to look at it. But as Christians, we're called to be different. As Pastor Jeff, Pastor Tamil, have been looking at the Beatitudes and seeing how it is different. Our life, our walk with Christ is different. And you know what it does? It encourages others daily because of paraclesis. So I encourage you, know your impact. Number three, be different. It's okay to be different. A lot of times we want to align with the crowds. We want to sometimes be more like the world. And that's, I'm speaking to myself, but as we share this gospel, as we want to be different, we need to embrace vulnerability. We can see in this letter that Paul was extremely vulnerable. He's in prison. I mean, his life could be teetering and in the hands of emperor. Anytime you can come in and be like, boom, taking off his head or maybe lighting him up, maybe throw him in a call to see him. I don't know. But any given Moment. Look at verses 8 through 12. He says, So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. This is verse 8. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. There's key. Relying on the power of God. Not relying on Dr. Phil. Not relying on Oprah. Not even relying on the greatest commentaries and books or whatever. It may. Relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, thank God, because we fail, right? But according to his own purpose and grace, which has been given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. This has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to the light through the gospel. Paul says, for this gospel, I was appointed a herald, an apostle and teacher, and that, I, that is why I am suffering these things. But catch these words. But I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed, and I am persuaded that he is able to guard what has been entrusted to me until the day of the Lord. When Jesus comes in his might, in his power, full of love to gather his beloved to himself, his church, those who trust in him. And so as I read this letter, as we look at this together, I think we can relate to this place of vulnerability. As I said to the, the pressures of the crowds and the naysayers, Paul was well aware of the crowds, the naysayers. Many times he and Barnabas would be preaching and sharing and these naysayers, these crowds would come around them and they're getting, the Jews would be getting jealous of the Gentiles and trying to infringe him in the progress they were trying to make. But they relied on the power of God even when people tried to stone Paul. At one point he got stoned and was left for dead. And then after a while he just arose. I don't know exactly what happened, if he passed out or what happened, but he, he was up and going again. And yet, 
sharing the gospel, landed him in prison, but he knew the price, he counted the cost, and realized that it was a blessing to be part of the gospel. That vulnerability is a blessing because it caused us to rely on the strength and power of God. And I believe that because prison didn't change Paul, I think this would have spoke volumes. Again, encouragement, paraclesis, to Timothy. Wow, Paul is in prison. He's in, he's in chains. Who am I to be like, oh, I can't do this, man. These, these speakers, I mean, they're pretty intelligent. I'm just going to cower away in the corner. But I think Paul is trying to stress with Timothy in this letter, as we're, we're going to see a little bit more, is that be aware of the power that's in your corner. Don't worry about the crowd in that corner. Think about the power of the, in your corner. Isaiah 40 shows us that we'll all be heard along the way. We will all be heard along the way. It says this, chapter 40, verse 30, youths may become faint and weary, and young men stumble and fall. It's not saying like if, it's saying we do. But those who trust in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not become weary. They will walk and not faint. Know your impact. Point number four. Be the catalyst. Be the catalyst. I looked it up. I remember this word when I was in master's commission, catalyst. It sounded really cool. What on earth does a catalyst mean? It means to precipitate change without being affected yourself. And so I'm going to word it this way. A catalyst in our circle is a person that precipitates a life-giving event. That's what Paul's doing in the life of Timothy. I really believe that. Encouragement could be part of the kindling process, the stirring and igniting of our faith. Let's look at verse 6 through 7. Therefore, I remind you to rekindle the gift of God that is in you through the laying on of hands. It shows, again, the importance of a moment in time through affection, affirmation, proximity. He laid his hands on young Timothy and prayed for him, spoke into his life as the Holy Spirit gave him utterance. And he says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. And so quickly here, as we look at the word power, in the Greek, dunamis means power and strength to influence. Power and strength to influence. We can see here that Paul, again, as I said, is urging Timothy to align himself with the power that's in his corner. The power displayed through Jesus Christ. Look at, ver again, verses 9 and 10. We looked at it. That this power is revealed through the appearing of Jesus who defied death and who brings life and immortality to light. The Roman Empire, as I mentioned, even in the, in the pinnacle of their might with swords and armies, they had legions. You realize in one legion there were 5,000 troops and they had legions at their disposal. And their most powerful weapon for publicly shaming people was the crucifixion. When a well-known, renowned general of Rome, Marcus Crassus, when he went after the rebellion slave gladiator Spartacus, after he defeated him and his army, there were 6,000 left. And usually they would take these prisoners, chain them up, and leave them in the Rome so everyone could be like, huzzah, or whatever they're going to do, tossing petals and whatever else they have in their hand, maybe throwing chickens, I don't know. And they're really excited. But in this case, Marcus was set to make an example of them, showing the might and power of Rome through the crucifixion. And they crucified some 6,000 soldiers 
all the way along this major Roman roadway called the Appian Way. And there's even like this poem or song about this long stretch of road. It was 65 kilometers. And every so many feet, they had one of these poor slave soldiers crucified, hung that entire stretch of road showing the power of Rome. However, when Christ went on the cross, they could think, we got him, this is done. We're putting this rebellion to rest. But we know that Jesus withstanded um, with the cross. He allowed himself to be put up there, and we know why, for the wages of sin is death, and he covered us through his blood. Death had to be paid. But when we look at it, he didn't succumb to it on their account. It wasn't their power. It was of his own power. He said, I, into, into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. He did it on his own accord. And I love this um, statement that Jesus makes. He says, I am the resurrection and, and the life. This is in John 11. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. This is something that we all trust. This is something that we all hold on to as believers. And so in light of this power, what could we possibly be afraid of? This is the thing, honestly, that cycles through your mind. When you're dealing with cancer, I was just talking with Pastor Jeff, it's a word that it can bring tremendous fear. Now, yeah, I'm stage one, but you always wonder the what if. Like, as I'm talking with John, we want to figure out how to get this thing to a reoccurrence number of zero. We're believing, we're trusting the power of prayer, and you're, you're, it can't help but think in the back of the mind, well, what if this thing went from, like, stage one to two? Like, what if it starts going through the body? And thankfully, it hasn't. And I believe the power of prayer is so important in combination with the medical professionals, which have been fantastic. But through this time, I couldn't help but think of this following verse that talks about the power of God. Check this out. Luke 12, verse 4. I say to you, my friends, don't fear those who kill the body and after that can do nothing more. But I will show you the one to fear. Fear him who has the authority to throw people into hell after death. Yes, I say to you, this is the one to fear. But we don't have to get caught up in that because we're in Christ. He's the guarantor of this gospel. He's the very power of God. And as Paul tells Timothy, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and sound judgment. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to read out these other aspects that love, agape, is a strong positive emotion of regard and affection for others. We need to walk in that agape as we, as we extend the power of God to others. I don't know if Pastor Smith, I don't know if you mentioned this quote when you preached on radical love. I can't remember who the author is, but he says, Never the embrace of love without the torch of truth, and never the heat of truth without the warmth of love. The very fact Simple, plain truth is that Jesus is coming back and he's coming for his church. He's coming for those who have placed their faith in the risen Jesus Christ who has displayed the power, exemplified this power. And that we who trust in him will be carried up, caught up with him at the coming of the Lord. Know your impact. In closing, the late R.A. Torrey, who was a renowned American evangelist, he was a pastor, an educator. He once said this, a truly wise man is he who always believes the Bible against the opinion of any man. Here's the quote again. The truly wise man 
is he who always believes the Bible against the opinion of any man. I would rather take the Bible at its word over any finite human being, even over my own opinion. Even after what I've shared today, test these words. If you're online, test these words. The Bible says to test the spirit. I'm acknowledging Jesus Christ as the risen son of God. Go into your prayer closet. Go in the place where you can personally meet with Jesus and allow him to minister to you right where you are right now. Boys, right where you are right now. You can ask, Spirit of living God, speak to me in this moment. I want to know your truth. I want to walk in your truth. I want to be a living encouragement. I want to embody that encouragement that I have so received by the power of God through his Holy Spirit. Imagine if we took the word at heart because you know what I can guarantee you? There will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. There'll be incredible fruit that will be the result as we allow ourselves to be in proximity of others, show affection and affirmation, to be vulnerable, to embrace that we are different. And when we go the distance, we will see that our impact will reap those results. Remember this before we pray. Your life serves as a letter. Your life serves as a letter, like the written word of Scripture. It serves, it's encouraging. So as Paul encouraged Timothy, let us be encouraged by this statement. We have not been given a spirit of fear, but one of power to overcome and influence, to love, to love affectionately and genuinely, and of sound judgment, to be self-disciplined, honoring God with our life, knowing that he's with us. He's the power in our corner. We're not in this alone. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. So as far as today is today, let's encourage one another in the faith. Let's encourage one another in the faith. I'm gonna invite you to pray with me as we align ourselves with heaven. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your written word, Lord, that you say will encourage us. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks to us, consoles us, exhorts us, urges us to walk and keep in step with you. Heavenly Father, thank you that even when we fail, even in our struggles, that you are with us, that you guide us, you lead us, you empower us to be your witnesses, your ambassadors of your mercy and your grace. Heavenly Father, be with us today as we go into the marketplace, into our workplace, wherever we go, Lord, we thank you that your power, your love is with us, that you've given us a sound mind. Help us to tune out the world, the crowds, the naysayers, and Lord, say good morning, Holy Spirit. Speak and work through me today. Thank you that you have purified my heart to become obedient from the heart, surrendering to your standard, your will, your purposes for my life. We love you, Jesus. Thank you that you're always with us each and every moment of every day. We give you the praise. We give you the honor that you so deserve. In Jesus' name, amen. Be encouraged today.